You're now listening to the A Place of Refuge Productive Living Podcast with Bishop Barry D. Walker. A Place of Refuge vision is to cause people to be productive in every aspect of life according to God's Word. For more information, please stop by our website at www.aplaceofrefugechurch.org. Now, here's today's message already in progress. Here in um, Matthew, the 16th chapter, verses 21 through 23, we see a conversation going on first with Jesus and his disciples, and then, of course, a conversation between Jesus and Peter. But notice when it started out in verse 21 that Jesus was showing or explaining to his disciples why he must go to Jerusalem. He was explaining to people that was under his authority, people that he had imputed knowledge and understanding into why he must go to Jerusalem. And, and you have to consider the word must because of how significant it is in the text. When it's a must, it suggests that a person is compelled to do something. And, and sometimes you can be compelled to do something because it's a rule, a law. And and then other times you, you are compelled to do certain things because it's a necessity. You, you know, I, I've got to be there before five. I, I just got to be there before five. You knew that the traffic light was changing from, from green and getting ready to go to red. And you knew it was going to be close because you yellow right there when you got there. But I got to be there before five. So <laughs> not saying you ran the traffic light, but it was close. But it was a must compelling you to get through that light. To say, I, I, I must go to Jerusalem. But the must in reference to Jesus at the time was in reference to his assignment. I have to go to Jerusalem because it's part of my assignment. It's part of the father's business. 
And if you know anything about Jesus, you know Jesus was about the business of, of the Father. To the point to where he said to his earthly parents that he must be about his father's business. Jesus did not play around when it came to his divine assignment. Like some folk in the church. Oh yeah, you got you got folk in here. You you know, you one behind the world, he get to be over that particular ministry because he put such and such before ministry. He over that, he don't hardly be here at Bible study. How in the world he over ministry like that? Because he doesn't have a must. You have to question. What's going on in his life or her life? But Jesus took his assignment when it came to ministry serious. And see, we need to learn from this that, that if we know God has chosen us or the pastor has took the time to say, look, I need you to be over there. We need to consider that this is significant. This is important. I don't need to be playing around with this. I need to be at the church because of such and such. Well, I need to do ministry. I need to be about the Father's business. And I'm not going to get a whole lot of talk from some of y'all because this is stepping on your toes. And it's okay. But I want you to understand something. Ministry is something that you have to take seriously because if you don't sooner or later... You won't be doing what you're presently doing. Amen. Amen. Jesus said, I must go to Jerusalem. It's part of my divine assignment. And see, the, the truth of the matter is, if Jesus had not gone to Jerusalem, Walker would still be in sin. You would still be in sin. You would still be holding on to the pipe. You would still be tricking. You would still be trying to sell some packages. If he had not gone to Jerusalem, even though we were not even in existence at the time, it was important for him to go to Jerusalem for the people that were with him at that time as well as for anybody that would be born thereafter. Because it took the blood of Jesus. It took Jesus going to Jerusalem and being killed in order for all of us to receive the redemptive plan of God. Because if he, he hadn't went to Jerusalem, he, he would not have died. And if he had not died, he would not have did what was required in order for sin to be removed. 
For the Bible says, except for the shedding of blood, sin, it could not be removed. And not just any shedding of blood, it, it has to be flawless, perfect, virtuous blood. I must go. I must go not to Samaria, not to Philippi, not to Thessalonica, not to Atlanta. I've got to go to Jerusalem. That's where I have to go. Jerusalem is the city number one of wholeness. He had to complete in Jerusalem what God had started with Israel. But Jerusalem also represents peace. Peace. The Hebrew word shalom, the Greek word arain, he had to go to Jerusalem in order to make sure that the world would eventually have peace or prosperity. The number one meaning of peace, prosperity. Jesus was going to be responsible for the entire world coming out of sin and receiving the peace of prosperity of God. That's the reason John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but would have everlasting Life, Everlasting life equates a prosperous life. A life where you no longer have to live beneath your privilege. Where you no longer have to be the tail, but you can be the head. He would fulfill what he, would, what, what he had proclamated to his disciples. In John 10, 10, the thief comes not before the steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. I came so you would prosper. I came to give you some peace. And, and it's amazing because he, he had to go to the city of peace. The city of of wholeness. Number one. To suffer. He said part of my assignment. Is to suffer. I got to go through some hardship. But one of the saddest things is when you read the text. Is that he had to go through hardship from folk that should have been embracing him. 
folk that he came to help. Folk that he was kin to. He was kin to the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. They were all Jewish. They were all part of the 12 tribes. But he said, I've got to go to Jerusalem and suffer at the hand of my kinfolk. And not just ordinary kinfolk, kinfolk that are in charge of the synagogue, in charge of what we would call the church. Leaders of ministry. Jesus had to go through what we would consider a religious court. Yeah. Can you imagine that? A religious court? Where you have people that know the scripture, know about the coming of the Messiah, for for it was clearly explained to them in Isaiah 53. And even in the Psalms, David decreed certain things about the promise of a Messiah. The promise of one that would come and first of all redeem Israel. Secondly, redeem the world. But the chief priests, elders, and scribes were so important. Are self-important to where they were overlooking the assignment of Jesus. And, and sometimes you can allow your selfishness to blind you from the truth. You can be so set on doing what you feel you need to do or, or what you feel is necessary that it can blind you from the truth. That's the reason one of the first things Jesus said to his disciples, if you're going to come after me, you got to deny yourself. Because this journey, you, you can't be into yourself. Because if you get to looking at yourself, get to thinking about what you can do, you will get your eyes off me. Some of us know how that is. Jesus was telling us, come on, come on, until we got to looking at something or somebody else, and before we know it, we done dropped the ball. We done stopped doing what the Lord would have us to do. You don't have to say amen. I know I'm talking to somebody. Religious folk. Can you imagine? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to tell the minister of music that, look, y'all need to be dedicated. Y'all need to be this, that, and the other. But they look at me like, what, what's wrong with pastor? How come we can't do what we want to do? Why he want us to do what he want I'm trying to tell you that's what God wants in the church. And so Jesus Jesus was doing his assignment, but the scribe, the chief priest, and the elders were so caught up into themselves to where they couldn't see 
that he was trying to do his assignment. Elders, I need y'all to be praying for the folk because I've got to do such and such and such and such. Why well, can't pastor do it? He, he wants us to do it. Why can't he do it? Deacons, I really need y'all to handle the business of the church. You know, the, the Bible says in the book of Acts that, that the pastor needs to just give himself to the work of the ministry. Can y'all just take care of the business on site? I ain't got time to be going back there trying to count this and count that and fill out this book and fill out that. Can y'all, well, pastor, we don't, we want to go to such and such after we get out of church so we can eat. We like to go to Cracker Barrel on site. We back there doing that. We can't do such and such and such and such. See, you can get so caught up into yourself to where you don't see how what you're doing is affecting ministry. Let it go if you don't want to do it. They were caught up. I mean, even, even though the, the, the scribes and, and the chief priests and elders, they, they was hearing about the, the ministry of Jesus. They was hearing that he was opening the blinded eyes. They were hearing how he would get people together and, and teach them the law of Moses, teach them about tithing, teach them about this, that, and the other. Because he opened up the scripture and he taught folk. And at that time, what he was teaching folk was the same thing that the elders, chief priests, and scribes were talking to folk about. Same exact thing. So they was hearing it. But they were just like, yeah, we know he, he, he teach some of the same stuff we teach, but we tired of him. Because he's trying to do such and such, and we ain't with that. So you have to really understand that, that, that Jesus wasn't, wasn't trying to, to destroy the law. The Bible says he didn't come to destroy the law, nor what the prophets had spoken. But he came to fulfill. That's the reason he embodied the teachings of Moses, the teachings of the prophets, the, the, even the, the Davidic teachings or the teachings of David. He embodied all of that. That's the reason he spoke to him. I have come in the volume of the book. Why? To proclaim the will of God. But sometimes when, when you don't allow the anointing of God to get upon your life, you don't allow the spirit of God to deal with you, you will miss what God is saying. That's the reason John, when he wrote to the churches in the book of Revelation, he specifically told them, hear what the spirit is saying to the church 
It's one thing to come to church, but it's another thing to hear what God is saying or revealing in the church. Jesus let him know. He said, he said when, when, when you read the scripture, you see life. But you should see that the scripture is talking about me. From Genesis to Revelation. Why is it talking about you, Jesus? Because I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's talking about me because in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. I'm just now the word made flesh. I was in the beginning with God. I just took on this form. I just took on flesh in order to redeem mankind. But when you're religious and selfish caught up in your ways, you will miss what God is trying to do. And so the, the scribes, the chief priests, and the elders were single-minded to the point to where all they wanted was to kill Jesus. Bible talk about they, they saw opportunity how they could kill him. In the world can you be in the church but you want the man of God dead how in the world can you want your brother or sister to be dead somebody that's doing good somebody that's helping for but you want them dead how in the world can you speak against that which help you out of your mess. It ought not be so. He had helped elders. He had helped scribes. He had helped chief priests. Even when they came and tried to trap him, he, he would turn around and give them the correct answer because he was the walking word. He knew the word. They, they were trying to discredit him and, and say he was phony. He was pseudo. He was low down. He was no good. But every time they set a plot or a trap and put it before Jesus, Jesus would give them not his answer, but he would give them an answer according to the written word. Let's ask him about the first and great commandment and hear what he got to say. Jesus pulled it out on him and dropped it. He, he, he wasn't trying to fight. He was just trying to fulfill his assignment. And let me tell you something. When, whenever you walk in the will of God, you're going to have some enemies. I said, you're going to have some enemies. Don't think you're going to get saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost and not have enemies. And especially enemies in your own family. Jesus said, your greatest enemies shall be those of your own household. So, once he talked with 
the scribes, chief priests, and elders. Once he suffered hardship from them, that thing was, he's a blasphemer. He's saying stuff he ain't got no business saying. Even though he was only telling them what had been written, what had been prophesied ahead of time. So then, because of what they said, Jesus would then have to go through the second thing mentioned in the text. He would have to be killed. For when he went before the secular court, the secular court said, we don't find anything wrong with the man. He okay to us. And it's amazing how, how, how sinners can see that a person is trying to do the right thing when church folks don't. And so the secular court asked the religious folks, the scribes, the priests, and the Pharisee, and, and, and others who were basically on the same side with the religious folks. Well, 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 what do you want to be done to this Jesus? Kill him. Kill him. So the secular court asked again, but, but why do you want us to kill him? He ain't done nothing wrong. Kill him. You want us to let Barabbas go free who need to be put in jail or killed because he done stole, he done murdered, and so forth, but you want us to let him go and kill this Jesus. Yay! That's what we want. And so, he had to go through that second thing that he said in the text. I'm going to suffer, and then I'm going to be killed. And when he was killed, the religious folks were happy. They were happy. They were happy, but they wanted to make sure that he stayed dead. So they went back to the secular folk and, and said, look, can you put some guards out there? Because, because that blasphemer said that in three days, he going to get back up. We want you to keep some folk out there by the grave so, so, so we can make sure that ain't nothing funny going on because we don't want them to turn him into a hero or a martyr saying that he rose and so forth and so on. Secular folk was basically like, we done with y'all. We done. And see, the trouble with the church world now versus the secular world they see so much hypocrisy going on in the church to where they don't consider the church serious 
when it comes to the redemptive plan of God. Jesus, I got to be killed. I must. It's a must for me. And, and, and I hate that the Lord had to go through it from a human standpoint. But I'm also happy that he went through it. Because if he had not died, if they hadn't killed him, if he hadn't shed blood, Walker wouldn't be your pastor. You wouldn't be a member of this church. You would still be wrapped up, tied up, and tangled up in sin. Yes, you would. You would still be there. You hear me? So we give you the praise, Jesus, for dying for us. But then, death wasn't enough. Because he had to take the power away from death. In the book of 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, Paul identifies death as the last enemy. He also talks about the sting of death. But see, Jesus knew, I've got to die, but but I'm going to have to take the sting out of death. I'm going to have to let death know that he he is an enemy and he is an enemy that does not have power or authority over me. So even though he had to die, He experienced death, the enemy, the third day. Say to your neighbor, the third day. day. He got up. He got up up for you, and he got up for me. He resurrected on the third day. And when he resurrected, you know what he said? All power has been given unto me. Well, in the heavens and in the earth, as well as beneath. Because when you read Ephesians, the fourth chapter, it talked about how when, when he died, that he descended into the lower parts of the earth, or what we would deem Hades or hell. But then after he descended and snatched the keys of death, hell, and the grave from Satan who had taken that authority from the first man, Adam. Jesus was the second man, Adam, went down and snatched everything back. But then he ascended. Why did he ascend? So he could start his church. And that's the reason when he started his church according to Ephesians 4 and 11, the first thing he made sure is that he was going to set leadership in the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? 
for the perfecting of the saints and the work of the ministry. This was all part of him getting up on the third day. He had to get up on the third day in order for the church to be birthed. If he had not gotten up, the church never would have been birthed. If the church never would have been birthed, we would never be called the body of Christ. Why are we called the body of Christ? Because it took Christ or the anointed one to bring us together. And woe be unto us if we would get selfish and start separating what God intended to be one. And so he told them, I'm going to get up, though. And to me, I could understand them being sad in one sense. But then them saying, but he's going to get up for us. Should have been some hallelujahs. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we hate you going to have to go through all that. But, but Lord, thank you for being willing to die so we could have life and so forth. Oh, he claps. See, because see, we don't get the full conversation from the text. That's the reason I, I'm, I'm really explaining to you in detail what happened. Well, in somewhat detail of what happened. And so, you would think the disciples would be sad in one sense again, but happy. And we really don't get to hear from all of the disciples because after Jesus tells them what he must do in reference to going to Jerusalem, then Peter had the audacity to pull Jesus to the side. And rebuke him. See, you don't touch God's anointing. I don't care who you are. You may not like what God's anointing says, but you don't touch God's anointing. Especially Jesus, he was the anointed one. And so he pulled Jesus aside. And rebuked him. He rebuked him. And basically said to him, all of what you said, yeah, I heard it. It ain't going to happen. That part of your assignment is not going to happen. I forbid it. And now you have a dilemma because you have someone that Jesus handpicked to be an apostle. And an apostle, in one sense, is that person that establishes the church, the foundation of the church. Apostle equates the sent one. Apostle is sent to set up what Jesus has spoke. He brings into existence what Jesus has decreed 
would take place. And so Peter says, what you're saying is not going to happen. He, out of his mouth, when you look at it in totality, was saying the church will not be birth. If you got to do that, Jesus, the church ain't going to be birth. If you got to do that, Jesus, I don't want to be redeemed. He rebuked Jesus for fulfilling his assignment. Yeah. You got some crazy folk. You, you got folk that, that, that have been taught well, but still do crazy stuff. You got some in here. I've been taught well, but still go do that dumb stuff. I know it. I know this, this touchy. But, but here, here Peter is, here he is, he, he like the front runner of the leader of the disciples doing dumb stuff. I mean, it's like, hey, look, you know, you, 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 people call you prophetess. And you doing this dumb stuff. You know you got me over here talking this crazy stuff and they call you prophetess and you here talking this dumb stuff. Suppose they know you're talking this dumb stuff and you call yourself a prophet. Girl, you better get yourself to get you. I hope they didn't hear me over that what you hear. Jesus probably wasn't that careful with Peter. He probably used Peter as an example. So the disciples could understand the significance of what was happening at that particular moment. And so after hearing Peter, the Bible said Jesus Notice the text. He turned. Jesus brought him to the side. But then Jesus turned away from him. Come here, brother. I need to show you this picture. Here, here Jesus and Peter is side by side and Jesus talking. Peter talking to uh, Jesus. But then when Peter said what he had to say. Jesus just turn. Get thee behind me, Satan. See, Peter was still facing this way. And when Jesus turned like that, you see what's happening? Jesus turned completely from him, going in his direction. And Peter was going in the opposite direction. The Lord was saying to him, you are doing the opposite of what I need you to do. 
That's the reason you are nothing but the devil. You're doing the opposite of what I need you to do. You are nothing but the devil. And see, you tell some folk that they're they, they doing the opposite of what they need to be doing. And the first thing they're going to tell you, look, I know I'm saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. No, you are the devil because you are doing the opposite of what God has ordained to be done. One minute he is listening and Jesus is pouring out his heart to Peter as his disciple. But the next minute when Peter tries to go against his divine assignment. Just that quickly he went from being a disciple to Satan. Let me tell you something. If he did not repent, if he did not ask God for forgiveness, get his act together, he would have remained Satan or of the devil if he hadn't got his act together. It's tough, isn't it? He said, You are an offense. To me. He didn't leave in anger. He let him know what, what the problem was. He said, look, you, you are an offense to me. You are obstructing my divine mission. I'm the one that's going to have to be whipped 39 times. I'm the one that's going to have to be pierced in the side. I'm the one that's going to have to take the weight of the whole world upon my shoulder and you want to tell me you want to rebuke me you are an offense to me Satan you suffer not the things of God but the things of men you're acting like the sinner you used to be That's what he basically told Peter. You are about the things of men and not the things of God. See, if God done ordained for you to suffer, embrace it. If it's part of your assignment. And and when folks don't, you shouldn't be going through all this. That's Satan. That's Satan. If God done ordained for you to go through something and somebody tell you it's something wrong, you shouldn't be going. Look, if God done ordained for you to go through stuff, you go through it. You go through it. If it's in your being, you know you got to go through it. And somebody tell you, you know you can go do such and such and it'll be all right. No, this is part of my assignment. And I, I never forget when I was suffering, folks used to tell me, you know, Pastor, you can go such and such. I think they're doing such and such. And such. I said, look, you need to just leave alone what you don't understand. Well, excuse me. Well, you excuse, but you need to leave alone what you don't understand. I had to get like that. Because some folk look at your situation and they try to tell you what you need to do. 
But they are not listening when you try to tell them that, look, this is part of God's plan for my life. Don't interfere with what God is doing. This is part of the plan. I tell folks, I went through suffering because it was part of the plan. I didn't have no reason to complain. Why? It was part of the plan. But I understood it was just part of the plan. It wasn't the complete plan. I understood if you suffer with him, you will also reign with him. And so, the message is, when you know you're in the will of God, and even your closest friends or relatives don't understand and are trying to put in their two cents, or three, you have to recognize that that's Satan. Not calling the person just the devil, but what they are doing is of the devil. And you can be a child of God, but be found thinking, talking, and acting like Satan. And if I recognize it from this point on, I'm gonna take get the behind me Satan and I'm done let's get a lot of big hand of praise thank you for listening to the A Place of Refuge Productive Living Podcast with Bishop Barry D. Walker please stop by our website for more information on our church at www.aplaceofrefugechurch.org until next time remember Jesus came that you might have life and have it more abundantly